If you are stuck in the grind and don't know how to get moving, if you have lost your dream or struggle to know how to make it happen, if you have been dreaming of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Add Valued Entrepreneurs podcast will help you transform your life with tools, knowledge, and support that will allow you to create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from the work they do so they can live the life they desire. You deserve it. It is possible. This show features interviews with people who have already created success in their lives and businesses and stories about everyday people living extraordinary lives. It's time for you to add value. Today's guest, Angie Callen. Angie is the founder and principal of Career Benders Inc., a full-service career and business coaching company providing career coaching, job search strategy, resume writing, and solopreneurial coaching for clients across the country. As a former engineer, Angie takes a practical, action-based approach to coaching. By inspiring confident professionals, Angie and her team help people rise above the norm, build confidence, discover their value, and align these elements for future purpose and satisfaction. Originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with a six-year stint in Boston, Angie has called Colorado Mountains her home for nearly 13 years. When she's not logging hours on Zoom, you can find Angie and her husband, Jim, and their four-legged kid, Foster, whitewater paddleboarding, fly fishing, backpacking, foraging for mushrooms, snowboarding, cross-country skiing, and enjoying whatever the mountains have to offer. I welcome Angie Callen, my friend. Angie, I just want to thank you so much for agreeing to be on my podcast. I remember the the first time we met at a networking and the conversation was around business mindset. And I don't know, the room the room had gotten kind of negative and weird, but you and I were just made eye contact yep. and you could tell in our hearts that we agreed <laughs> with each other on, on the answers and, and both had strong opinions that they needed to be more positive and, and have a different attitude. And, and it was a, it was a definite connection. And I don't do that often with people that I appreciate our friendship since that time. And uh, seeing you grow your business has just been really exciting. And so thanks so much for agreeing to be on today. Oh, this is awesome. I, I, I'm known for a few things you alluded to one, and that is that apparently I, anything I'm thinking shows on my face. Um, and so that day, I actually remember that exact same instance because somebody sitting next to you was looking at my face and afterwards said, Angie, I knew exactly what you were thinking. So um, I'm known for that and my never ending stream of opinions and advice when it comes to business and careers. So I'm super excited to, to be here and just chat about everything that I think you and I've both learned over the last few years of growing businesses. Absolutely. So tell me about starting your company and what drove you to entrepreneurship. So I think to, so I own a company called Career Benders. We focus on career and business coaching. That's all with that kind of career mindset. But to really, I think, bring it into context, I'll have to give you the Reader's Digest version of my career history because it, there's no logical starting point unless I go kind of, I'm going to say back to the beginning uh, because I started my career as a civil engineer. And I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania. My dad was my math teacher. It was one of those places where there was kind of like five career options and they were all your very traditional things like teaching, law, engineering, like you're just your standard kind of careers we've always known about. 
And I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was a senior in high school. I was a top performer and I always felt weird about the fact that I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And so dad was my math teacher and he was like, well, and you're good at math and science. Maybe you should go to engineering school. So I did my research and I picked civil engineering because it's the one where you get to talk to people the most. <laughs> and just, hey, hey, everybody out there, if you choose an engineering discipline based on the one that has the most communication involved, you're probably a little off base of your career path. There's my first piece of advice on the podcast. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I stuck with it. I practiced for about eight years. I lived in Boston um, for the first about six years of that career, learned how to ski and then came to Colorado on vacation and got bit by the bug and ended up transferring here through the company I worked for in the fall of 2008. Like literally, I started at a civil engineering firm in Breckenridge, Colorado, three days before Lehman Brothers tanked. So my whole world got turned upside down very quickly, not because I lost my job, but because the job that I thought I was doing never really panned out. And that was when I kind of took pause and was like, this isn't what I want to do. And uh, I'll be really honest that in hindsight, I can tell you I changed careers with no plan. And I think that that kind of informs some of my inspiration in the way I coach in the career capacity now. But I have no plan, had no plan. And I basically just took the first thing that came along that got me out of that engineering job. And uh, I so that was the start of like a year or two random career journey. I I ran an, a single artist gallery. There was baptism by fire. <laughs> I left like super structured giant engineering firm to go work for like this single artist. And that was an experience. That was my first foray into small business. I did lots of other random things. Um, and I stumbled in the nonprofit world and kind of spent seven years in in growing responsibility and ended up um, as the executive director of a of a nonprofit for about four years. And that's where things started to click because I never had a strong career motivation. And what I realized in leading somebody else's business is that I have a lot of natural affinity and strengths when it comes to kind of like your strategy and the vision of a business and also implementing it and really kind of seeing that potential and fostering it into reality. And that's where the entrepreneur in me kind of came alive. She was always there, but it was kind of subdued by various, you know, it was never anything I was taught. It was never on my radar. But as I look back, there's a common thread of entrepreneurial activities, despite whatever job I had, whether it was like a million direct sales companies or like I tried to do life coaching for a little bit. There was always something there. And so um, coming out of the nonprofit world, I knew I was that was I was that was short lived and I wasn't going to spend the rest of my time there. But it really set the stage for owning and starting a business. And I knew I wanted to have a low over, low overhead, low startup, which basically means you're coaching or consulting. And I've always had a propensity for coaching. And uh, this was three and a half years ago. And I would say that career coaching was kind of um, emerging as a specialty of life coaching at this point. So I it, it basically smacked my, me in the face. Robert, I know you and I kind of share beliefs. It was the God moment. And it was the probably the only aha moment I can pick out of my life. I was talking to a friend of mine from college who I've known for 20 years. And she just said, oh, yeah, I was actually working with a career coach. And it was like somebody smacked me in the face. And I was like, that's it. And a day later, I had a URL. I had a business registered. And I had a crappy clip art logo. And Career Benders was born. <laughs> and so it's been a fun three and a half year ride since then. And I've never looked back. And it really was um, the best opportunity I could ask for to kind of use my strengths to help others. So nice. So obviously starting with a crappy logo and a 
<laughs> and a quick printed business card. What, uh, what was the most important thing about building your audience? For me, it took a little while. I would say because I didn't work with, I didn't have a mentor or a coach of my own during this. I was kind of like jumped full in, cut the cord. I didn't have another job, so it had to work. Um, and I kind of jumped in head first, but at the same time had to figure out how to swim on my own. Um, you know, there were no swimmies involved. And for me, I think it took a little while to figure that out. I had to figure out what the niche audience I wanted to serve was. And one of the things I often tell, you know, entrepreneurial clients or startups or sol solopreneurs that I work with is that adage of like knowing your niche is, is the most annoying cliche that's actually true. Because there's this idea that if I niche down too much, then I'm making my audience too small and I'm not reaching enough people. But you almost need to understand that avatar in order to know how to reach them so that then you also organically end up reaching others. And that's what I spent the first couple of months figuring out and also finding my voice. So I used LinkedIn very heavily as a place to kind of build my credibility, find and solidify my opinions as I interacted with content and stuff around the career coaching specialty. And um, the audience that I ended up attracting, which makes sense, is kind of like your technical, your mid-career technical professional. And because I was starting a business, a career coaching business, because I'm a former engineer starting a career coaching business in proximity to Denver, which is a growing and booming technology hub, there was a natural gravitation there. So I didn't know or exactly who that audience was going to be until I was actively in the process of trying things out. And then I figured out who that core niche needed to be. And now I now I work with lots of other people, but that's still like 75% of my of my business is that like original core audience who I really resonated with and who resonated with me at the beginning. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the value of that niche. Why why is that so so critical in the beginning? I think it helps. There's, I think that there's like mental, emotional, and just logistical aspects to that. The first thing is if you're trying to, from a logistical perspective, if you are trying to create products or messaging that, that, that reach everyone, it'll actually end up reaching no one because it's too diluted. And I also think that by niching down from like a mental and emotional perspective, it helps you hone how you talk about your services because you're going through the repetition of a similar audience um, versus trying to figure out how I sell a resume right to an executive at the same time I sell it to a 22 year old new grad. Those are distinctly different motivations and goals and client types and conversations. Whereas if I can go have the executive conversation 12 times, now I've got it down pat and it becomes easier to manipulate that conversation and steer it towards others. So I think it helps us and also even from a service perspective, whether you're coaching or doing something else, repetition builds that muscle. I don't know if you've ever read Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers, but the, I mean, it's this theory of the 10,000 hours to become an expert in something. So the more you do something in a similar capacity, the stronger you become at it. And then you can apply that knowledge to everything. So I think that that's a, there's, there's fundamental kind of business marketing reasons why knowing that niche is good. But I also think there's in practice service growing your own skill set uh, pieces that come into play there too. Well, and you mentioned finding your voice, right? And so the value in in recognizing your voice in the niche that you're serving, um, especially early on when you're building that, right? You're actually creating your voice yeah. 
has to fit you. And that's part of your brand. I mean, that's part of your personal brand is such a trending topic right now, whether it's career market. But when you get into this business market, you're, that voice is part of the brand and who you attract and what you're known for. And authenticity is so important in business right now. And I think it's because, for instance, social media, it puts so much out there as a veil where everybody's has perfect lives that people tend to grab onto things that they think are like really organic and natural. And I think finding that natural voice is I think really, really important because people, I mean, for me, I was like, I'm going to be a career coach. I put that perspective out there. I interacted with people super organically. I told them my opinions because you'll get to know me. I have a lot. And it resonated because I was just being me and I was authentic. I got my first paid client because I commented on someone else's LinkedIn post. <laughs> and it was just because it was my opinion. And so I think that 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 natural voice and like building that perspective that you have on whatever your area of business and, and expertise is, is very important. I think if someone asked you to hold your opinion in, you'd explode. <laughs> I think that's the finale at the 4th of July fireworks. <laughs> yeah, it'd be an awesome show, but it only could happen once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nice. So let's talk a little bit about that, that confidence. How, how did you develop your confidence? As a, I mean, putting yourself out there on LinkedIn and and putting yourself obviously giving up a, a job to start your own business with no source of income, right? No, you didn't have a backer, you didn't have funding. And we don't like. I'm not a trust funder. My husband's a restaurant guy. I mean, maybe we had a thousand bucks in the bank. So it was a it was a big leap of faith and circumstances put me there, and I I took advantage of them. And it's really interesting because. While I don't necessarily know that I would coach others to just cut the cord and go into business, I actually find people who cut the cord and just go into business are most successful because their A is no fallback and B, you have fully committed to something with no distractions and you're you're like totally all in. And I think for I think as far as the confidence piece comes, I had no choice but to just go put myself out there and do this thing. And you know, fortunately, I haven't really ever struggled with questioning like my confidence or abilities. I tend to look at something and go, yeah, I can do that just as well, if not better than anybody else. Maybe that's my ego talking. But um, I, I think it was because I was very connected to the service and the perspective I was putting out there. And I knew very much from my own experience that I could help someone through this. That said, I mean, what what's going on in your head versus what you're putting out there sometimes is a little bit of a disconnect because there's a, there's definitely an element of fake it till you make it when you coach your first client that you like you're just like trying to audible and you're like, I'm not gonna let this person know they're my first client, but you're my first client and I'm figuring it out in real time. So, you know, that's also I think that there's there's a two, two parts. The confidence one is having the confidence to put yourself out there. And I think having a really strong attachment to what you're doing and a strong perspective on um, why you're able to do it is important. And then I think that confidence builds over time, you know, as you iterate your process and are exper experience more and more clients. Absolutely. So let's talk about the value of connection. Yes. Well, I think you and I are an excellent example of the value of connection. I wouldn't <laughs> be on this podcast. Um, I, I mean, I think part of the reason I, I'm super extrovert type A, so I love people. And so human connection for me is like, I, I'm 
probably more fueled by a giant room of people where I get to, you know, go in and work the room as I am like sitting on my couch. So for connection for me is just personally a a big aspect of just who I am. But I think from a business perspective, it's a hundred percent critical. There's a reason there are so many networking groups out there and that all of them are, are, you know, keep thriving and, and are successful. And it's because, you know, we can't do this alone. And, and I think connection is just as important from, let's say, building a referral base and, um, you know, c- c- the network that brings you clients as it is for us as business people and entrepreneurs to have a community with each other. Because especially when you're starting a business and you're everything from the bookkeeper to the visionary, it's it can be lonely. And so I think there's value in connection like in all parts of a business, no matter what size you are or where you're at and what your goals of those connections are. Absolutely. So you mentioned starting without mentors, but what have you done since? Uh, I'm actually starting a coaching process with a coach next month in two weeks. Nice. So for me, I kind of, um, you know, I really, I I would say I pushed my business as far as it could absolutely go to the point of almost breaking me. It grew so fast and so hard um, until I felt, until now I feel like, and it wasn't because I didn't want to be coached. It was because I've had trouble finding the right fit um, because maybe I'm a hard person to coach. Um, and then, so I, I basically, I've pushed it all the way to, and, and I've scaled. Like the other thing was like, I went from year one to two was a double, year two to three was a triple. Nice. And so the business has continued to scale and it was like, okay, I'm clearly doing something right. I've reached the point where Angie working more or charging more is not going to create another double. And so that's why now, that's why I've decided now's the time to uh, work with a coach who can help me see, see outside myself, much like I help other people. But up to this point, I would say that um, the, the replacement for mentorship was a little bit more of the community and the connection. So people like you and friends that I've met through networking or like a little cohort of career coaches. We all started our businesses around the same time who kind of came together in a collaborative way um, to work with each other was definitely a big part of like the first year. Um, So I would say, and actually I'm starting, I'm starting a local entrepreneurship group up here in the, in the mountains to kind of foster that connection and community too. So I've found it more through community and now I'm intentionally going to go and, and seek out, seek out me for me. Nice. Which is exciting and a little nerve wracking at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, take a detour. What do you love to do in your How much time do we have? Um, <laughs> so I live in the mountains of Colorado. Um, so for the first two and a half years of building my business, I actually drove about three hours each way to go to Denver to do that connecting. Just, to, just to, so it's not totally sidebar there. I'll tie it in, um, and I would do network. You know, I would go to networking events. I would see clients, and um, it was it was a very valuable experience to build that in person connection. Then that that then really created the foundation for me to transition to what is now a fully virtual coaching business. Um, and it and it was a it was I, I really sacrificed some of what I love to do in order to do that all the time because we live in the mountains and we totally live in like a mountain adventure life. So in the winter, cross country skiing or regular snowboarding on the mountain is probably the biggest thing that we do. And then in the summer, there's way too many activities. We have a storage unit full of gear. So um, one of the weirder things that we do is we whitewater paddleboard. 
So like when uh, we're on the river, we're the spectacle that people are taking pictures of. Or like, are we really looking at people going down rapids, standing up on a paddleboard? That's us. Um, and fly fishing is a really big activity that we do all year round. I absolutely love it. I highly recommend fly fishing for your crazy entrepreneurial mind because it will calm you. Um, and then hiking, backpacking, you know, camping. We have a dog who goes on all of our adventures with us. So um, yeah, mountain life. Literally, it's like Thursday and it's like, okay, what's our adventure this weekend? Nice. Yeah. I heard a uh, quote that, I don't know. My brain is saying Einstein and I know it's not. Who's the inventor? Name starts with an E too. Edison? Edison, there we go. That he loved fishing, but he would fish without bait. And everybody's like, why do you go fishing without bait? Because for an hour of the day, the fish don't bother me and neither do anyone else. <laughs> That's excellent. You know, I would say even with flies for an hour, sometimes the fish don't bother you. So <laughs> I'm with you, Tom. Um, <laughs> no, it's interesting. You know, I have, um, you know, I mentioned being like super extrovert, super type A, which means I have a brain that does not turn off. Like even sometimes while I'm sleeping, it's on. And, you know, we do all these other great outdoor activities, skiing, whatever. But even when you're skiing, you're, you know, you're going down the run for five to seven minutes, depending on what it is. And then you're on, you have a 15 minute chairlift ride and you're like back to reality, brain turn on. Fishing is the, fly fishing is the only thing that I have ever experienced where I am only focused on it for two or three hours of time. Wow, that's awesome. It's almost meditative. Meditative. And it's, um, I think it's, it's very healthy. And I think having something like that in your life is actually really good for people like us who are, you know, always on the move from the professional aspect. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. So talk to me about the importance of character. You mentioned authenticity, but the importance of character and character development. Oh, I think that's really, oh, that's an interesting question. I find, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to start somewhere strange with this one. Um, you know, I, I mentioned at the beginning, my business started really with that like mid-career technical professional. And now I have a, I have everybody runs the gambit, but um, I have, I have a, a little core business working with new graduates. 23 year olds are really interesting. And I think that that is something they struggle with, which is why I, I don't know why that's where my head went when you asked, because it's almost like they don't even understand their own character because they've never had to figure it out because a phone or a device or technology is always dictated their life for them, their whole existence. And at 23, they're graduating from college and finding themselves in a decision, critical thinking, decision-making process where a phone can't tell them what to do for the first time ever. And I think that that's really where character starts developing is where you have to start making decisions and seeing um, how you approach life outside your safety net almost, you know, fly out, fly out of the nest when you graduate and go become an adult. Okay. Now who are you in that world? And I, I think it's really important to explore that and understand kind of your strengths and weaknesses of your character, because I also think that comes back to that confidence piece that that we have and knowing what you have to offer and knowing when you can just say, nope, that's not my jam. Learning languages and growing plants are my two, not my jam. If it does not meow or bark at me, I will not remember to feed it. Um, and so I, I think that not only is character important because it will attract other people to you, but I think it's, I think it's more important that, you know, you, you have that internal connection and awareness for yourself. 
Nice. So how do you help these graduates explore their values? Like what's important? I ask a whole lot of questions and, a, and get a whole lot of radio silence. I think a lot, actually, to be honest, I think a lot of it has to do with seeing them and allowing them space to kind of explore those, con those convert, even just conversations and concepts and give them the space for choice. Um, it be, it, it, which is good and bad because they're not necessarily great at, at making the decision around the choice, but um, presenting them new perspectives that they haven't had before can be really, really valuable to them seeing new possibilities or seeing new strengths in their own personalities and beginning to build just that inkling of a foundation of confidence it takes to just go step out into the world for the first time untethered. Nice. I, I think uh, just read Jim Quick's Limitless and he talks about uh, digital dementia, but then he also talks about um, digital deference or the idea is that you, we've given all of our decision-making to, to our phone and to the opinions of people inside our phone. And so it's interesting to hear you say, talk about, you know, that generation that's, that's coming up and who grew up with phones probably their entire lives. existence. Yeah. And, and they have, I could, I could never imagine giving over my decisions to somebody's opinion on Facebook or to even LinkedIn or, or anywhere technology well, just, for that matter. Basically speaking, that's actually how uh, the millennial and I think it's Gen Z behind them make decisions. Like that's where testimonials. And so if you're a business owner, this is actually something you need to know, but it's also kind of, a, it, there's a, there's a counter argument against it, but like testimonials and reviews are huge because that's how that gen, those generations actually make decisions. It's much more consensus and feedback based. And it, when I first started working with new grads, it was really just interesting because I was like, what the heck's going on here? Because I've <laughs> always been very, very kind of like headstrong, decisive. And so just in my own personality, I'm like, wow, this is different. And then I started seeing it as a common theme. I thought maybe it was just the first two from a personality, two or three from a personality perspective. But then I kept seeing this common theme of like indecision, critical thinking, Pair, and lack of critical thinking paired with this like total analysis paralysis of making this perfect right move because they're so used to their lives being on display on social media. They got to make sure it looks good and let helping them let go of that. Like, look, you don't need to make this like perfect right move. You just need to get started. I think is a huge piece to getting them out of analysis paralysis and beginning to explore themselves and building character and building their careers. I love the Tim Ferriss shares the story about taking a bus downtown and getting off the bus and laying down on the sidewalk just to get over the idea that anybody's opinion around me matters. Like, you know, so he's, so he forced himself to do something crazy, like lay down on the sidewalk and just to, to break his own brain of the idea that, that other people's opinions matter and, and can make a difference in your world. And I think sometimes it takes something the shake, right? It takes <laughs> something really big, whether we're talking about a 22 year old or a 52 year old, I think sometimes it takes that, like, I don't want to say rug out from under you, but that has, that can be a big, sometimes it takes being pushed off the precipice, whether that's making your own big, bold move, like laying on the sidewalk, or um, it's you like getting laid off or something that you didn't necessarily ask for or create. Sometimes it takes that like wrap, like hard, 
mindset flip the switch to, I think, be open to other possibilities. I was actually, this is really funny timing. I was talking to who is going to now become a new client. She was a potential client yesterday. Nice. Now she's going to come on board, but she, um, she has a dream for, for a coaching business, even down to like, she's got a great name for it. And I'm like, okay, this is way more well thought out than I thought. Why aren't you doing this? And she's like, well, I feel like, you know, all my siblings are, uh, do all these great things. They're attorneys. They do all the, I feel like this isn't like good enough to live up to the expectations. And I was like, Ooh. well, is it good enough for you? And will it fulfill you? And she says, yes. Yeah, so we're doing it. That's like the nutshell version of what you just said is sometimes you just have to not care what people think. Absolutely. Well, and that, and that, that's a family limitation, right? She's putting an upper limit on herself because of family expectations or, assumed expectations Bingo. that she's putting on herself, applying them to her family. Exactly. And they may and not even exist. Think that she's self-imposed limitations based on the assumptions of others' reactions. And you gotta be really careful with that because that will keep you in a box. I one of the I think one of the reasons coaching has always had a draw for me and the common theme I found in my all of my like entrepreneurial endeavors over the years was that I always wanted to help people be better versions of themselves. And I think some of that is sparked by the, by the fact that like we're way too accepting of mediocrity in this country. Oh, not just this country. This that's a, a world in the world. It's a world problem. And I think that we tell ourselves a million things that keep us there. And what I first realized, I think what really woke me up to this is I was in the box I had the go out to a bar, talk to the dude next to you and go, I'm a civil engineer. I went to Carnegie Mellon and they go, wow. And automatically you're like the girl. Right. And I, I, so and in a city in the East coast, that is actually a very big part of your identity. And when I, a made the huge choice to leave that safety net in the box and move to Colorado was kind of part one of that wake up realization shake. Um, because people kept saying like, oh, you moved to the mountains of Colorado. You get to ski 80 days a year. Like you're living my life. And I'm like, you could have done this too. Right. So that was part of it. And then when I decided to leave engineering, part B of that came because I really struggled. And I think part of the confidence part comes back into this. I really struggled with who I was because for 10 years, 12 years of my life, I had been the engineer with a degree from Carnegie Mellon, female on the job site. I always was like a standout. And I then had to define myself separate from that. Um, and so all of those things, and I'm fine. I'm fine. I pay myself more now than any other employer has ever paid me. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. It all worked out. And so sometimes the, you know, sometimes laying down on the sidewalk is exactly what you need to break the mediocrity. Well, and, uh, and recognizing that your identity is not your, what you do. Yeah. And it's so hard because what's, Hey, Robert, nice to meet you. What do you do? Right. <laughs> First question I, you ever get. Right. I help people be a better version of themselves. <laughs> yep, exactly. Exactly. And it's funny because in looking at that like common theme and the, like the introspection that comes from having that character awareness, I feel like it helps you almost. Identify. Some people call it your why. Some people will call it a purpose. But I think what it helps you do is realize kind of like your core strength and reason for being what is the what is the gift god has blessed you with and how am i supposed to use it and for me it's seeing others potential and motivating that into some sort of reality that helps them 
move out of that kind of stuck place. Um, and when you're in that flow and you're like, it's awesome. It's an awesome, awesome place to be. And it makes me so sad when people just choose to be stuck and don't want to explore it. Right. Or they're just content with a nine to five because they, they think they're safer. Yeah. And there's tons of reasons that come behind that. And some of them are logical. Some of them are practical. And obviously there's like a time and a place and things you can compromise and things you can't, but golden handcuffs, money, titles, benefits. I have a car and five kids and a mortgage. I can't, you know, there's a ton of reasons we tell ourselves for just staying put. And I really enjoy being a catalyst to push people into thinking otherwise. Nice. That's a, that's a cool title. Yeah. There you go. Maybe that, yeah, you can, you can tagline that one for me. Yeah. Well, mine's dream recovery specialist. That's the title I want to put on my business. Oh, I like it. I always think it would be really fun. Also, A, I don't know how business cards are still a thing, but B, right. I think I think like non-traditional titles are really fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and they, they they open up that exploration. For me, the mind is such a powerful tool that we just use so little of. Yeah. And and the fact that it wants to work for you, it wants to work with the universe around you. And and it has all these connections that you don't even need to understand to take advantage of. But if you put, you put it out there in your thoughts, your thought life and your vibration that you walk into a room with the right people are going to approach you and the right things are going to happen for your business. And it all starts in your thoughts and goals and dreams. And your brain wants to help you bring those to reality and God wants to help you bring those to reality. So the two collaborating together is is super powerful, which I think you've done in your life and I'm doing in my life. And, and we've both seen other people like, just do it. Right. Like, (laughs) awesome. What's it? This is another like cliche, popular, you know, old dude, Thomas Edison, Walden, one of those guys. If you can think it, you can, if you can believe it, you can achieve it. Yeah. That's it's that. And that's, that's, if you just said a hundred years ago, two billionaire rich dudes within two weeks from each other were flying ships into space to troll around, you would have never thought that that was even possible. Yeah. And, and one of them sells books and one of them built the car. (laughs) Exactly. It seems so unbelievable, but if you, if you actually can look back at what those people would have thought was unachievable and unbelievable. And that the fact that probably that plus some exists now, it really starts to open your eyes to what possibilities may exist, at least be open to them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, if you look at a picture of Bezos in his first desk in his garage, it's two sawhorses and a sheet of plywood yeah. that he started Amazon on. And, and everybody's now, of course, everybody wants his results, right? They want his money, they want his stuff, but they don't want to do his work. And, yeah. and he did the work, yeah. right? And, and that's, and that's Elon's important message. Thing. You got to do the work. You got nothing. That's also a young people thing, but I'm not going to dog on young people more, but nothing comes from nothing. Absolutely. But that's the thing about having a dream that's so big that you just, it just drives you to do it, right? Like you wake up in the morning saying, what what do I get to do next? Mm -hmm. Tell me about your dream. I worked with a, it's interesting because I worked with a business coach years ago before I started career benders. Um, I was, uh, I, I, uh, I was with a, like one of those direct sales companies and owned my own business. And I actually built like a top 3% business with them. 
Um, that was like number five entrepreneurial endeavor that probably should have told me that I was meant for this stuff. But she, there were two things that she, we worked on and that she told me that still have stuck with me all these years. One was that like qualify that, that like defining statement of I am. So going back to the whole introduction thing of like, suddenly I now want to be the chief potential officer of career vendors, for instance. But when you say something to somebody and they say, you know, hi, Robert, nice to meet you. And, and they say, what do you do? You go, oh, I'm a business coach. I own a company called Add Value Life. Oh, that's cool. Whereas if you are to say to them, like, I help people realize their dreams, holy conversation. So that really stuck with me, but it's such a non-traditional thing to do that it can be hard to like get in the flow of it. But that stuck with me and, and kind of goes back to that part of the conversation. But the other thing that we did was work through kind of like a, let's call it a why exercise that went much deeper than what most of us attach our, to our why. Um, Cause a lot of people it's, you know, I want to have the, I want to have flexibility or I want to make, you know, I want to have financial independence or whatever it is, but there are layers of reasoning below that. And that's where you really can get to the, to the heart of it. And I remember working through an exercise with her to the point where like I had an emotional response to multiple layers below why I wanted to make money in this business. That's your why people. That's Jill, your why. Till it makes you cry. You're not there yet. That's the thing. You, you, <laughs> you, you dig into yourself and figure out your why until you get an emotional response. And now you can handle anything that comes at you because, you know, as a, as a business owner, I, I'm not going to say it because it's not very PC for probably what's a G rated podcast, but I have this, I have this concept that I call the EMF. It's the entrepreneurial mind bleep. <laughs> And it looks something along the lines of, holy cow, I just signed a $5,000 client this morning. Oh my gosh, nobody has deposited money in three days. This business is going to die. Oh my gosh, look, I got five leads. Holy cow, what the heck am I doing? I have no business giving anybody advice on anything. And that, and it's only 9 a.m. <laughs> and that's a day, no matter how successful your business is, probably Jeff Bezos dealt with that up until like, you know, maybe five years ago, maybe when he hit the billion, probably not anymore. But if you are emotionally connected to the why, you ride that out like a champ. Absolutely. Well, and I think Jeff Bezos, right up until two days ago when he when he stepped down, probably still had it. I know I heard Hugh Jackman on Tim Ferriss's podcast, and he still deals with imposter syndrome imposter every syndrome. day. It's yeah. just that it's just. I think it's just a part of our brain yep. that's still trying to doubt us and shut us down, and and. And it's a big part of why I have a job. So I, I appreciate it because a big piece of what I do is help people on a weekly basis learn how to make the voice of positivity and the voice of truth stronger Louder. than that imposter. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think that I I don't think the imposter syndrome ever goes away. It just becomes it scales while we scale. It has higher stakes behind it. We have higher levels of comparison to pit ourselves against. And um it's it's like that. It's a it's like the economies of scale. The more successful you are, maybe the more imposter syndrome you get because there's more riding on it. Like who knows? Imagine the burden of the number of employees and the number of trucks and the number of all the things that that he was responsible for. You'd be like, whoa, no, no. I'll take care of paying me and my wife and my team. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then you also with that kind of scale, you get into like the. I mean, the all of the the media attention, which there's a, there's a huge trade-off to that, of, of course. And so, you know, I'm sure yeah, Jeff has bad days too. 
Oh, you, I guarantee it. Yeah. I guarantee the imposter doesn't let him down either. So yeah. And I think it's awesome to hear somebody like Hugh Jackman talk about that, especially because in the celebrity world, we put them on such a pedestal because their lives seem so perfect. Their bodies are perfect. They look fantastic, but I mean, they're people. Absolutely. Like us. Right. Well, and that's the thing where you can, you can really fire somebody up, right. When they can start to imagine themselves in in this new place, this new position, right? And and helping them like a superhero, like like for me, it's helping them see themselves in three years. What what do you and your business look like in three years if everything's gone perfect? If everything's, you know, you you imagine every decision you made, every offer you make, you know, is the right one and and you're getting paid exactly what you're worth. You know, what does that look like? And we draw that person, right? We create that person. And then I say, all you have to do is step into it, <laughs> right? And and it's that action of stepping into that costume, stepping into that character. And and like you said, you fake it till you make it in the beginning, but you've already identified what this character is. And then you just start making decisions that match that character. Mm-hmm. And, and incredible things start to happen because you're, you're living beyond what you what you think you can do what you, think you can and there's i think there's it's funny the the conversation i was telling you about yesterday with the client who was like why well, can't be a coach it's not good enough uh, i actually said the words what's keeping you from stepping into it and i think that that's such a powerful phrase because it has this like physical action of literally like stepping out of yourself and into this new thing and and she's she's she said to me repeatedly like Oh my gosh, you're giving me so much hope. And that's the greatest thing somebody like you and I could hear is give somebody the hope that that dream and goal is totally possible if you step into it and own it. Nice. So let's talk about gratitude. How has gratitude been helpful for you? I have, sometimes I look at what I have built and look at, you know, challenges I faced in the past and can't believe that I even get to have this thing. And so I'm just grateful every day that I've been blessed with this, with something that has been able to support my family in ways that we never even expected. And the fact that I get to help other people do that same thing too. It's it's really incredible when you can, like for me, the successes that career benders have seen, okay, okay, great for me in the financial aspect of being able to say, you know, I grew up six-figure business in two year and a half or whatever, but it's really what that represents. Again, it's almost like the why. It's like the layer below that of what that represents and the people that have been able to impact and how much their lives have improved because of it. I am just so, so, so grateful for that. Um, And as an act of gratitude, I think it's really, I think it's really powerful to kind of practice that act of kind of writing and saying what you're grateful for. So when I am good and in my in my optimum flow and actually doing the morning routine that I have not done since before we went on a two week vacation earlier this summer, um, gratitude's part of it. Is like this is what I'm grateful for. This is what I'm going well. And when I have work with clients who feel really stuck, that's one of the activities I give them. I'm like, wake up every morning and write three things that you like about yourself or you're good at, and write three things you're grateful for, and do it again in the evenings. And it really gives you a different perspective on all the things you have. And all the blessings in our lives because it's so easy to focus on what's not going well. So I think it's really, really important. And I don't think it's just hoity-toity, woo-woo, positive mindset stuff. I think it's really <laughs> intentionally creating awareness around what you have to be thankful for versus the things that we could just complain about nonstop. Well, I think it changes your vibration, right? It 
it actually gratitude is one of the quickest ways to change you from in the dumps to and and that vibration the signal you're sending out becomes it changes and so when you walk into a room to make a deal or to make an offer if if you've been having that the dumpies all day that's what you're putting out there in spite of the smile that's glued on your face and the the suit you put on but expressing gratitude can instantly change that Mm -hmm. and you can walk into the room you know head held high and and confident and i think gratitude is one of the quickest powerful tools to change your attitude. <laughs> it's like immediate rewiring. You know, I just thought of a third thing that 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 came out of that years ago business coaching, and that was the it's it again. It's a little bit cliche, but one of the things I say on my podcast is like we have cliches for a reason. It's because they're usually true. Um, and that's like the scarcity versus abundance mindset. And when you get into business and you are the salesperson in your business, that is something that can really become a hindrance. And I think you know. Abundance mindset has has positivity. Scarcity mindset has pessimism. And if you're going into a sale in a pessimistic in the dumps mindset, you are bringing a scarcity mindset to that conversation. And all of a sudden that transaction is about you versus the other person. Oh, nice. And you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach like you're going to throw up because you want to make the pitch, but you don't want to make the pitch because I need this sale. I need this money. Where's my next paycheck coming from? Oh, my gosh, the bank account is $100 in it. You start thinking about all the reasons why you as the business need this transaction and it becomes selfish instead of selfless. And then you lose it all. And that's and, and I think it's really important to maintain that balance and awareness around like the positivity and abundance mindset so that you're going into those conversations with the right attitude. Well, absolutely. And what you're providing or offering is what the person needs, not what you want to sell. Mm-hmm. So it, it changes everything, it which of course changes the whole sales conversation because now I can help you. This is how I can help you. And, and that person, you're already setting that person up to be getting the results because you're planting the expectation in the conversation. This is where this goes. And this is why, I'm valuable to you is because I can yeah. help you get what you want. <laughs> How many yeah. people have you ever talked to? Well, maybe I talk to more people that say this than the average person, but they're like, I don't want to sell anything, but I could do it if I really believed in it. And it's like, well, that means you don't want to be in sales. You want to have a conversation and give people something that will help them. Cause if you really believe in it, you know how it will help somebody. And if you authentically trust in that now it's not a sales, it's a conversation about how I can help you. And it's no different if you were selling a car. No. Because the car solves a problem for them. They came there looking for a car that solves a problem for them. And you're the person that's trying to help them solve the problem. That's a, that's that's what sales is, yeah. right? It's really, yeah. we're problem solvers. And yeah. once you can figure that out, it's no longer about, you know, being the Amway guy that knocks on the door. <laughs> oh, by the way, their founders were both billionaires and they've made millionaires all around the world. <laughs> I guess they did something, allowed, right? but they, they helped people build businesses with no business model or training or, or anything. They gave the whole package. And and even though it's lost its fervor in the United States, now it's flowing it's through really Africa beginning. and yeah. India. I thought yeah. overseas, it still has a lot of traction. Absolutely. Well, it's a business in a box. <laughs> and if you take the box and you do what they teach you to do, you can you they can have absolutely. a proven model absolutely yeah. and yeah what great people because they really did 
create an entrepreneurial wave. And of course, now they've created an MLM wave because now everybody and his cousins co copying the model from financial advisors to I know <laughs> everything. Ooh, there's like, a cross on soap anymore. Yeah, let's see. <laughs> Um, well, bags were my big, 31 bags was my big one. That's the one I had a lot of success from. But before that, uh, stamps, makeup, jewelry, cooking stuff, Boys. baskets. I mean, I think there were a dozen. I was a sucker for go to the party and sign up and buy the kit. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but just like any business, you're never going to be the person who's actually making a full-time living with that unless you work at it. Right. Yeah. And that's the challenge, right? Everybody sees the dream, but doesn't want to do the work because they haven't matched the dream yeah. to the steps. I know. Whereas I, maybe I'm just a sick person, but I love the work. Like, I don't you know what I would to. do if I didn't work 50 hours a week. You have to love the work. I don't know what I would do. Now, last <laughs> summer I worked like 70 hours a week. I can totally tell you what I would do if I didn't work 70 hours a week because I'm doing that now. That was a little unmanageable, but it's just, that's part of like my DNA. I don't know what I would do. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you have to love the work. And if you don't love it, then you're doing the wrong work. Mm, there's a, there's a baseline question to ask yourself. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think people are so stuck or feel so stuck that they're afraid to explore loving what they're doing. Right. And it's a choice. Yeah. Right? But it's Even if like you're not allowed to because of that, like media, worldwide mediocrity thing, you're supposed to hate your job, complain about it, and dread Mondays. That's why I have a podcast called No More Mondays, Shameless yeah. Plug. It, it's because <laughs> it was like, you don't have to hate them. Do they have to be your favorite day of the week? No. But you can enjoy what you do enough. You should. Yeah. Like, it's a choice. You can choose to enjoy it. And why wouldn't you? Why would you choose to be miserable if you have the option to choose to have a pleasant day? Yeah. Have I think joy. There's some people out there who just like being that martyr. Oh, they absolutely That's do. That's a whole different conversation. Uh, <laughs> Bring yes, the psychologist in. <laughs> <laughs> so now that you're at this place of, I mean, that you wanted to be at, right? Like this is this is where you wanted the business to be. Um, you're not at 70 hours. You're not looking at the checking account going, we're not going to eat this month. Yeah. Um, what, what has been the, value of contribution hmm to for myself or to others to others you know it's interesting from a business perspective there is nothing more fulfilling than setting up payroll for yourself and it auto processes and you don't even have to think about it like it's really really empowering and just a something to be proud of but again it represents the value of contribution to others. I, I have a high volume coaching business. I have over 700. I've worked with over 700 clients. So I, that is 700 people who don't hate their jobs. Yay. Or who have stepped down and made a career change to do something they wanted to do, or finally stepped into this idea of business ownership or entrepreneurship that they've always had. Like it's, it's 700 people who aren't doing what they used to do and are hopefully less miserable because of it. <laughs> It's it's 700 inspired, confident professionals. And that's the tagline for career benders is inspiring, confident professionals. And that's how I would like to leave the world. Nice. Hopefully so not on that, tomorrow. On that note, what inspires you? I, oh, that's an interesting question. 
I had somebody ask me that recently and I had to kind of sit and think about it. But I think for me, um, it goes back to that kind of like the purpose thing of the potential. I'm really inspired by the challenge of identifying somebody's potential, helping them see it, and then showing them there's a road to manifesting it, I think is, is it. So the, the, that when Pete, when somebody says, oh my gosh, you gave me hope that inspires me because now you've laid down the gauntlet and set me a challenge to help you see that hope come to life. Um, and that, I don't know if inspiring is the right word or if it's motivating or if it's a combination of the two, but I know it's what drives me. Nice. That's pretty cool. So, so what's your dream? Uh, well, at the risk, I've never, I've never said this in such a public platform, but I, I mean, in all honesty, and I think maybe I'm on the way to it is you know, I would love to have the, you know, premier career coaching is a rising specialty. There is no Marie Forleo or Tony Robbins of career, of career coaching. I would love to be it. I want to be, I would love to, to move from like a one, one-on-one -on -one coaching to be able to be like on stage, inspiring way more people to take action around this stuff. So for me, it's it's the next level of career benders is is my dream. And I will continue adding those levels as I reach reach each one. Because if you'd have told me I would have a quarter million dollar coaching business in three years, three years ago, I would have looked at you and went like, no way. So thinking about being on stage and, and, and motivating 5000 people in a, in a room to, you know, embrace Mondays more or go start the business they want seems totally ridiculous. But at the same time, there's been outcomes that were ridiculous three and a half years ago. So um, if I can believe I that, awesome. I can achieve it. I, I think you ought to be writing it down and visualizing it. <laughs> so It yeah, is written make, down. Make it so. Yeah. there's um. I actually, this is kind of like just a, a fun value add practical tool. At the beginning of the year, I decided to start reading books because I'm not a big reader. And um, I started reading a book a week, which has kind of fallen off, I'm trying to get back into it. But I picked up this book called Traction. And Great I book. really recommend it for anybody out there who I'm going to I don't want to say I, I felt like at the beginning of the year, this business had full control of me and I did not have control of it. And I really committed to making the changes this year to be able to have balance and not just be this crazy, busy, stressed out person that I was exactly the antithesis of what I'm telling people they should be. Mission, <laughs> mission accomplished. It took about six, it took three to six months to do it. But traction was a big part of it where I walked through that whole that whole exercise of mission, core values, the, you know, the one or three year plan, the 10 year, like what's the ridiculous dream that you could possibly have. Um, and then I implemented some of their operational tools, which has been really helpful. Nice. Tractions of the bike shop story, right? I think maybe no. Uh, maybe there is a bike shop story in there. It's <laughs> this is how handy it is. That's right. Come on camera. Yeah, it's a great yeah. book. I don't it's know. On, maybe I'm there pretty is, sure I have like, it on Audible and Kindle. <laughs> maybe there is. Yeah, because he has like an example of several different businesses in here, and that might be one. This and another good read I just recently read was The One Thing. Oh, yeah. That, that might have the bike shop story in it. I can't remember <laughs> now. They all they kind of all start to blend together after you read fast read skim one a week, but there's always a good nugget in every single one of them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm committed to uh, book a week or I guess, yeah, mine's closer to, I don't know what number we're at now. Sometimes I'm doing two. So, <laughs> like, I listen to Audible at one, one and a half, and then 
Well, so I did Limitless, which has a speed reading chapter in it. And so you just got to learn how to be a speed reader. And then the problem is I got electronic. I got audible. I got. That's yeah, true. Yeah. And then you get, I started buying real books. So I love, I, gotta, I still love real books. And I, I, I don't do know why it's something, books. I think it's, I remember it better if I've seen it. Cause then I can remember like where in the book I saw it. This office is full of books. Some of them I've read, some of them I will read in the future. And some of them are for reference. They all have a purpose. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and for me, readings, I've just always loved books. Like my wife always said she was going to sell my book collection as as her nest egg because <laughs> I had so many books. Um, I wish they were that valuable. But the the truth is that, yeah, I I end up Audible was my big go to in networking because that drive time. Right. We spend so much time yeah. driving one meeting to a one-on-one -on -one, to a networking meeting. You were driving three hours. I know. I, I podcasted like a champ during yeah. those road trips. And and that's so, that can be so powerful, but I'm, I'm the same way. I want to see it. And so then I end up, you know, the Kindle version is usually cheaper because at least then I could see the words yeah, yeah. that match the, yeah. match the voice. So I listen on Audible. I go home and mark all the, all the quotes <laughs> that I loved in the Kindle version. <laughs> Yeah, but or I, I listen to it on Audible right. and then I go buy the book on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like, wait a minute, now we're triple dipping. <laughs> no wonder no wonder Jeff Bezos can fly to space. I know, exactly. <laughs> I keep buying books in three different formats. <laughs> Multiple streams of income. We all know about that one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So what what's your favorite dinner? I know that your husband's in that industry, but Hmm. So my, I actually love to cook too. So my husband is a sommelier, he's a wine professional, but over the last year, restaurant stuff fell away. So he's kind of absorbed into the business and kind of takes care of life. So he actually does most of the cooking now. Um, and he uses every pot and pan in the kitchen and like 12,000 ingredients on Tuesday night. <laughs> as long as you're doing the dishes, I don't care. Um, I love to cook and I love Italian food. And so um, my specialty is risotto. Um, and we also forage for mushrooms in the summer. So really the best one is when we find chanterelles. I'll make million dollar risotto full of like hundreds of dollars of chanterelles. Um, and then I like to make homemade pasta. I like to make, I don't know why I like to make ravioli. I like to make filled pasta. I don't do it very often. Like it's like Christmas. Um, <laughs> but that's one of my like, uh, cooking is my creative outlet because I'm not very artistic. So that's like, that's where the, that's like the creative hobby side nice of me yeah <laughs> but to be honest like a lot of nights are chicken and broccoli let's just let's just yeah well you're you're doing better than than i am chicken and broccoli sounds like the inspirational meal at this point for, <laughs> for we still have a grandson we're still stuck in hot dogs and mac and cheese <laughs> oh hey you know there is nothing wrong with a good old bowl of mac and cheese <laughs> it's true yeah it's definitely one of my one of my wife's favorites yeah. still. <laughs> and chicken fingers. I can't eat gluten anymore, uh, like eight years. So it's like forever ago. But man, like when kid food, when they, when you would be at a table with the kids and they'd get the chicken fingers and fries, it was like, oh, I want that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So just uh, would you be willing to share a story of your biggest challenge and how you pushed through it? Oh, I would be willing to share that story. I need to think about what that is. <laughs> so, I, I mean, really, I think it comes down to building, you know, 
one of the biggest challenges I feel like I, I had to push through was the financial aspect of building a business with absolutely no fallback. Um, and we have not talked about this yet, but but I, I was willing and luckily Jim bought in, drank the Kool-Aid to taking some extreme measures to make this happen. And so, um, you know, I had... I had no job and was building a business and Jim works in restaurants, which are just kind of volatile in the income is not hundred percent consistent. So we were in a really like the first nine months to a year were really, really like critical financial component to building career benders. And so we took some extreme me measures and downsized to a tiny house. Um, so we, and we still live in it <laughs> too. Uh, we've lived in it for two and a half years. We built a 225 square foot tiny house inside of a 1989 Bluebird International school bus. We built it all of our, all ourselves. And um, we bought the bus from Colorado Springs, totally gutted. So it was like a steel bullet when it arrived into, the, we drove it to the mountains of Colorado. And if you've ever been here, Jim drove a 35 foot school bus over Independence Pass, like and um, and we we basically had like 27 days to make it habitable. And you can you can just take your own version of habitable and probably take it <laughs> 10 levels more rustic. And that's what we moved into. So for 28 days, we hammered away at just outfitting the inside of this bus to get it to some point of ha live livability in November in the mountains. So like basically it was insulated, get walls up, you know, hope and pray. And so I would every day I would have Jim work pretty much full time on it. I would have client meetings and I would work on the bus and I would have client meetings. I would work on the bus. We ate um, potatoes, parsnips, beets and carrots out of a five gallon bucket that we had grown in the garden all summer. So we basically like ate nothing, worked all day. And every single time I got a client, new client, we I would say, OK, we've got seven hundred dollars. What's the next project in the bus? And so, I mean, we just literally stripped down life, life and finance in order to basically, I don't say bankroll this thing, but create uh, a low, low enough, like living situation that I had the freedom and flexibility to make career renders what it is. Nice. There you go. And, and so that, have that's a combination of challenge. How did you overcome it? Slash what's the craziest thing you've ever done? Cause that's pretty close to it. <laughs> right. I, I'm just curious about how fly fishing happened. Like, like obviously from Pennsylvania, you said you're Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. That, that wasn't a natural fit. No. And there's, there's some fishing in Pennsylvania, but I did not grow up in a, like an outdoors household. Um, my mom, my mom had some health challenges from the time I was sick and that kind of like definitely defined our, you know, our family dynamic. And so, um, I played outside in, in the woods is what I did as a kid, but, and then played sports in high school, but, the outdoors were not a thing. Um, Jim, Jim had some friends here who are big fly fishermen. He started fishing like a year before me and he kept telling me like, I think you would like this. Um, I think it'd be great for you. You like, cause because of, of the stress factor. And I'm like, I don't want to fish. And then I realized that if you're married to a fisherman and you don't want to spend four hours alone every day, you better just fish. Because <laughs> you don't go fishing for an hour. Like once I started, I realized like, oh, that's why this takes for hour because it takes forever because it takes a few hours to even catch fish. But see, he he finally got me to go out and try it. And I was still even a little bit resistant. And then 
I'm not very good at not being independent at things. So once I finally got interested enough to push over the learning curve and know how to tie my flies, know what different flies were for different bugs and conditions and know how to get a fish in a net and get it off a fly and back into the river, I was hooked because then I could go out fly fishing by myself. And that's really where. And if and I tell people if they're of all the out, outdoor activities that we do, if I had to pick one and you were only allowed to do one for the rest of your life, that would be it. Wow. I would have never. <laughs> yeah, we spent last we spent this past weekend. We uh we backpacked up to twelve thousand three hundred feet above sea level high alpine lake to go cutthroat trout hunting. Like that's that's what's so cool about it is you can it gives you a good excuse to go to see some really amazing places and catch special fish and. Yeah. Yeah. Colorado has some amazing places. So this is a great place to live. Yeah. And I, I feel like in 13 years, I think I've been here. I still sometimes feel like all we've done is scratch the surface. It's like never ending. I've been here basically my whole life and have just scratched the surface. So yeah, exactly. we always find new places to explore. So it's a, uh, it's incredible. All right. So here's going to be the real challenge to hold you back. Oh but no. Sitting across from a young entrepreneur, and you get to give them Angie Callen's words of wisdom <laughs> for running or or taking their business to the next level. What uh, what are you going to share? Don't be afraid to take calculated risks. Nice. You have to, I think, and I actually would say the exact same thing from a career perspective too. And I think that that comes back to a lot of the things we've touched on with um, the fear about change and um, not wanting to do something you've really ever dreamed of, but you have to have a certain level of risk tolerance to be an entrepreneur because there is statistically proven a 66% chance it's going to fail. Um, and I think the only way you succeed is if you are willing to take calculated risks informed, not, not completely, you know, um, uh, reckless. You're not going to go be reckless, but if you, if you have to take calculated risks or you're going to be, you're just, you're just be in the middle. Nice. I like that. Strive yeah. for excellence through calculated risks. Yeah. And I, I think even just stepping, stepping into the idea of starting a business is the first calculated risk you make. Because yes. there's, there's ways to, to mitigate it so that it isn't reckless. Like I said, one of the reasons I love coaching people in careers or career change or even in starting businesses is because I've learned a few things about what not to do. And so there's there's ways to make it sustainable. If cutting the cord is not financially feasible or you don't trust yourself that you're going to make it financially feasible inside of the small amount of money that's in the bank, um, it, then, then you figure out transition plans and you figure out how to mitigate the risks you aren't willing to take. But stepping into that is the, fir is the first calculated risk you have to make. And then you have to make decisions on where to do that in the future to keep yourself growing and building the business that you dream of. So not everybody has to move into a bluebird bus. No. <laughs> and it, because you're all morbidly curious about our tiny home, Yes, it completely runs and drives. We can go nomadic if we want to. And it has a larger Instagram following than any of my other accounts, including career benders. <laughs> a, bus call, a bus called Rio. Yeah. If you're curious about our little life. The two of us and the dog. Nice. And, and you, actually, you actually must love it at some level because it's, like it. it's home, right? And, and yes. office and... 
it's it's well because I've never owned a home, and this is also one of those things that's going to help us reach that life goal. Because if I told you the amount of money that we've saved in three years and living this thing, you'd blow your mind. But it's the bit biggest thing I love about it is it's mine, and we also built a hundred percent of it. No one else touched that thing but Jim and I. I designed it. I put all the plumbing in. I put all the electrical in. Jim does all the all the like woodwork and detail oriented stuff that I don't have the patience for. And it's it is it's ours, not only because we own it, but because we created it. And the sense of of pride in that is amazing. And you know, the original plan was actually this was the year we were going to ha- real house hunt. But I'm not house hunting in this market. And when we started talking about it, like I almost had this sense of like sadness, like we're not going to live in my little house. Now, sometimes it's like I want to have a giant dinner party. So I built an outdoor living room for us so we could do that in the summer. But um, there's trade-offs, but it's, it does bring up an emotion, an interesting emotional response when I think about the day when we won't live in it, because it is, it's ours. And also just from like a lifestyle perspective, it's amazing what you don't need when you don't have room for it. Absolutely. Notwithstanding the 10 by 10 storage unit full of outdoor gear, but it's amazing. 10 by 10 pretty reasonable. Yeah. It's, it's like stacked. That thing's stacked, <laughs> but I mean, we have power I got a two-car garage power boards take up a third of it, Robert. But uh, it's just, it's really interesting to like challenge yourself to live a more minimalist life. I have a 24-inch closet. I'm a woman who loves to shop with a 24-inch closet. And I probably that, still only wear tw- 12% of what's in it. <laughs> that brings up a, another book that is valuable, Essentialism. Yeah. Uh, by Greg McCowan. And that, that's exactly the idea that he, you know, you can cut a bunch of stuff out of your life that's distraction and that's, you know, a burden. Like even in a room, you sit in a room and you can see the stuff you haven't used in two years. It, that stuff's taking energy. Yeah. And the thing is, you don't even think about it. You don't even re- like, I don't even know what's not in my house. As long even, as you know what is in your house. As good. long as my KitchenAid mixer and my Cuisinart made it in there, I'm fine. Uh, <laughs> so, and they're both are. <laughs> gotta, be able to, gotta be able to make margaritas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, it's just been so fun. Thanks for sharing. I could do this all day. I love stories. it. Thank you. <laughs>